0: This is your first Sunday with us. You can tell by the bumper video that we are doing a series on David, a man after God's own heart. Over uh, 37 years ago, I began my ministry in the local church serving as a youth pastor in Union Grove, Wisconsin. How many of you have been to Union Grove, Wisconsin? Wow, a few of you. Okay. It's not really known for a lot. The, the Shepherd's Home and School is there. And some of you might be familiar with that. But uh, other than the sauerkraut bins and a drag strip that's about a mile south of town, it really isn't known for too much. All right? In fact, our first uh, Sunday going there to do ministry and to visit, uh, they were cleaning the sauerkraut bins. It was a smell that you really don't want to experience. I'll just share that with you. It was my, my first full-time ministry, and new area, new people, so, obviously, you know, some uneasiness and some strangeness in, in going to a new state, a new city, a new church with new people.
1: But interestingly,
0: Basically, you know, it's kind of like when you're going through difficult and tough times. and There were some challenges in that ministry. You kind of feed off each other, and you encourage one another. And Kevin and I had that kind of relationship, and we grew very close during those three years together. After three years, I came back to Michigan as an associate pastor at North Park Baptist in Grand Rapids. Uh, Kevin went to a different Christian school, but long story short, uh, he ended up being a pastor at a church in Waukegan, Illinois, and it was called Bonnie Brook Baptist. And actually, it was a converged church, BGC. Uh, Boy, I almost said the wrong initials there. I would have gotten in trouble. It actually was a BGC church. First time I'd ever heard of a BGC church. And uh, after he took that church, I was pastoring at uh, Kentwood Baptist, and we still kept in contact. We would get together occasionally. They'd come over and see us. We'd go over and see them. About uh, 16 years ago, uh, his wife called me up, and she said, "I don't know if you've heard, but Kevin has colon cancer." And as we began to investigate that and talk with him about that, uh, we learned that it was terminal, and that the doctors had actually given him probably about a year to live. So in the meantime, I made probably two or three visits over to Kevin. One day, took the train all the way up to which was a new experience for me, took the train to downtown Chicago, hopped on a commuter train up to Waukegan, and and, uh, spent the day with him. I remember the the last time I actually saw him alive, he was confined to his bed, uh, could not move, and we just uh, shared and talked together, old times, that type of thing. One of the things that I marveled at is that Kevin, during that whole time, and during our phone conversations, our visits, and so forth, he never doubted God. Now, i am going to be honest with you, particularly after I left him that last time, and I went back home on that train ride, I, I began to doubt God a little. You know, like, why, God? You know, Here's a man that loves you, is serving you, he's a pastor of a church, he has teenage, college-age young people, he has a very faithful wife. I mean, they're doing everything right. You know, why have you allowed this to happen? And so I had some doubts. I had some questions for God. But interestingly... During that entire time, Kevin never doubted God. Some people, when faced with serious and painful trouble or conflict, doubt God. Consequently, in their doubt, they make decisions that impact their life and even the lives of others in a negative way. Now, if you've done any reading on the life of David, you know that David experienced some very dark. One of those dark times in David's life is addressed in 1 Samuel 27. I'd like to read that account for you. Uh, You can turn there in your Bibles if you want, but I recognize that we have different translations. And so if you just want to listen as I read this passage aloud for you this morning, and I'll read the entire chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 27. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and the six hundred men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with them, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let, me, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns, that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziglat and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people have lived in the land extending to Shur in Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. When Achish asked, "Ah, where did you go today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of Jeremiel, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, This is what David did, and such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Dachish trusted David and said to himself, He has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. knowing the story pretty well, we see that God was not really rejecting or forsaking David. However, in the midst of David's trouble, that was not clear to him. In fact, David lost sight of God's presence. He began to experience deep feelings of isolation and rejection. He began to doubt God. He started making decisions apart from God because his faith in God was waning. And he thought that God had forgotten him. Now, there are a couple of David's psalms that reflect his deep emotions and feelings when he was being chased by Saul. And he was wondering, where was God? Like Psalm 10-1. O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Or that Messianic Psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Now, before we become too critical of David, We need to remember something. We need to remember that this trial that he was experiencing was not a short-time trial. It was not just something that endured for a couple of days or even for a few weeks. It went on month after month after month. David was hunted like a wild animal. And so David felt that he could trust no one. He didn't know that maybe there was a spy from Saul. He didn't know that there maybe was somebody that was willing to turn him in for a bounty. And that Saul's men would come upon him and take his life. There was no safe place. There was no security. How would you like to live like that? Fearing for your life every day. Not knowing that, that maybe there was an army or an attack waiting just around the corner for you. Knowing that you had no place that you could call home and feel safe and secure. So what happened to David would probably happen to many of us. David began to doubt God. And as we can tell by this account here in 1 Samuel 27, he decided to take matters into his own hands. He left God and he went to Gath, to the Philistine territory. I wonder, what caused David to doubt God? What caused him to doubt God? There's a couple things that I think we can identify and take note of I think the first thing that caused him to doubt God was fear. It was fear. We know that King Saul wanted to take David's life. In fact, he concocted a plan. He said to David, okay, I you want to marry my, my daughter. If you want to marry my daughter, here's what you have to do. You have to go and, and kill a hundred Philistines and do some other things to them. Actually, Saul had him do that because Saul thought for sure that he would get killed as he went on that mission. When that didn't work, Saul told his attendants and he even told his son Jonathan to kill him. If you ever have an opportunity, kill David. And when that didn't work, Saul tried to kill David himself. Remember, he grabbed the spear, threw it at David. David got out of the way it hit the wall. He also even plotted with his daughter to kill David. You know, you get him in the bedroom. You get him alone. We'll come in. We'll get him. And she warned David and got away. And when all these plans failed, King Saul didn't give up. Because now he was mad. Now he was upset. And he began to chase Saul wherever he went. In fact, he was more concerned at times with chasing Saul, or David, excuse me, than he was in protecting his own kingdom. So, that's the background for David. That's why he had fear. In fact, take your Bibles in Look with me at, at 1 Samuel 23, verse 14. Just a couple chapters over from Samuel 27. Look at 1 Samuel 23 and verse 14. It David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. How often did Saul search for him? Every day. I mean, this didn't let up. It was ongoing. And then, of course, in, in our passage, uh, verse 1 of 1 Samuel 27, but David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. I mean, this fear was constant in his life. Saul's pursuit of David was relentless. It was always happening. And so, do you kind of get an appreciation for David's fear? I mean, who of us wouldn't be fearful in that situation? But maybe like David, you have been there. Maybe like David, you have been overcome by fear. Perhaps you've given into your fear when it comes to your health. You ever get real fearful about your health? Particularly when you're struggling and going through some tough times, that yeah, we start fearing about our health. Or maybe we fear a little bit when it comes to our material needs. God, are you going to be able to supply my needs? And we get a little. Well, what about with our children? Any of you ever worried about your children? Oh, goodness. It doesn't stop when they become adults either. We, we fear regarding our children or our work situation. or we fear about the future. I mean, we give in to our fears. And the reality is that rather than our fears driving us away from God, which seems to be the case with David for a time, And it drove him to doubt Our fears ought to drive us to our knees. When I was a freshman in high school, my mom got very sick. Uh, My dad took her up to our local hospital. She spent a couple of days there, but she just continued to go downhill. Eventually, they rushed her by ambulance up to a hospital in Grand Rapids. And I remember after they did that, my dad had gone up to the hospital, and, and she was in intensive care, and he came back home, First time in my life I saw fear in his face. I'd never seen that in my dad. My dad was, you know, one of these self-made men, kind of a you know, very good athlete. He prided himself in that. I never saw fear in my dad until that evening when he came into our home. And he had fear all over his face, and he got all of us kids together and he said, We've got to pray. We've got to pray for mom. We've got to pray that God will intercede. My dad was a born-again believer, he was a Christian, but my dad was not expressive like that regarding his faith. My mom would do that but not my dad. And so, you know, as kids, we knew something was up. And we went to our knees and we prayed for my mom, and God did heal her at the end of that long story. But that fear drove my dad and us to our knees. And fear should do that for you and I, but sad to say in David's case, he didn't do that. He forgot about God. Now, I find that interesting because, as we know, David wrote many of the Psalms. In fact, turn to Psalm 27. Would what, you do that with me this morning? Psalm 27. Because I think of all that. I think of how David responded. And we read of that in 1 Samuel 27. I think about how, you know, in his fear, he doubted God. He ran away from God. He went to the, the as we'll talk a little bit more about, the land of the enemy it just doesn't seem to coincide with Psalm 27, particularly those first three verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. I read that. I say, what happened to David? Why did he disregard his previous faith in God? And part of the reason, I think, was fear. Fear has a way of doing that. You see, in fear, we question God. In fear, we don't want to wait upon God. in our text that David did not wait upon God to intercede. He didn't trust God's protective shield to be over him. He reasoned with himself and he came up with his own plan. He said, the best thing I can do. See, God was left out of the picture. And David focused on himself and his own abilities and he thought, man, the time is now for me to take this thing over. I think David thought, God's not helping me out. I need to take some kind of action. And again, what happened? See, I think David forgot God's promises. I think David forgot the promise of God that he would be the king. I think David forgot that God had a plan for his life. And when we stop trusting God, and lose perspective on God's plan for our life, it leads us to an improper decision making. And that's what happened to David. I think there's another cause or reason for David's doubt, and that is prayerlessness. David made his biggest mistake when he didn't consult God. Does that sound familiar to any of you? You ever made that mistake? You know, where you move ahead and your own wisdom, and your own actions, and your own idea of how you might be able to solve something—David didn't consult God. I'll share with you the story about um, at the end of my sophomore year in college. I had some decisions to make, and what should I do for the next for that summer? And and I made a hasty decision to go and sell books in the Bible Belt of the United States. I or three other better choices than that. But they presented it, you know, good money, exciting experience. You know, and after I signed up for that, I thought, you idiot. That is so far out of your comfort zone. I mean, you know, to go door to door and knock on doors and be a cold salesman, and nothing against any of you that are gifted in that way. Praise God for you, right? That's not me. And I thought, And after reality set in, and I realized I made a mistake, I went to prayer. And then I had to, you know, get out of signing up for this program and all that other kind of stuff. David made a key decision on his own. Look at verse 1 again of our text. Look at verse 1 again of our text. But David thought to himself. One of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. There are three eyes there, one me and one himself. All of that is contained in verse 1. See, David's rationality actually turned into irrationality. Because he concluded to himself... That Saul would kill him. Now, if you just remember, what did God promise? What did God promise? He'd be king. He'd be, he became. He even was anointed. And how quickly David forgot the promise of God. How quickly David let the promise of God not even enter into his mind. He didn't pray that back to God. He didn't say, "God, I, I, I'm struggling. I'm hurting." You know, I just don't know how to handle this, but I remember you made a promise to me and I'm going to claim that now. He didn't do that. He didn't even go to God. And to conclude that the best thing that he could do was to escape to the land of the Philistines seemed to be in direct opposition to God's will. But again, David didn't seek God's will by going to prayer. How many times had the Lord warned? of Israel to not develop close relationships with pagan people. Don't live in their land. Don't commune with them. Don't marry them. God did that because he didn't want the Israelites to be influenced by pagan and godless values. And David chose rationalistic logic. Where you've kind of chosen your own human logic and your own reasoning over prayer. And then, like me, you've gotten in a bad situation. And then you pray and say, okay, Lord, help me. No. Have you ever moved ahead without God? Again, using your own reasoning, relying on your own plan apart from God? Soon, when we do that, we open ourselves up to some dire circumstances that can change our life for the worse. So let's move on to our next point. Some of the consequences of David's doubt. Some of the consequences of his doubt. Well, first of all, when we kind of touched upon this. He gave in to human reasoning. He gave in to human reasoning. Our text says, but David thought to himself. And right there is his first problem. He looked at his situation. He sized it up strictly from a humanistic viewpoint. You won't find David going to God at any point in this chapter. You don't see it. You don't see where David cried out to God. You don't see where he went to his knees and he prayed to God. And it's interesting that in all the psalms that David wrote at various times of his life, not one psalm is attributed to David while he was in death. Do you know that? Look at the commentators, and they try to, you know, they, they they look at these Psalms, they try to determine when David wrote the different Psalms. And that one commentator will look at the Psalms and say, oh, he wrote that when he was living with the Philistines. His reasoning took him to the land of the Philistines, directly to their king. He chose to live with the enemies of Israel and the enemies of God. The same enemy from which Goliath the giant had come from, that he defeated. The same enemy that David had defeated many times, and and the people had said, Saul has slew his hundreds, David his thousands, you know. And David pushed the human panic button, and he didn't go to God. He was sure that he would perish if he didn't try to fix the situation, humanly fix the situation. The second consequence of David's doubt, I think, is that he chose a double life. He chose a double life. It's interesting that duplicity began to mark David's life when you read 1 Samuel 27. You see, deep inside, what was David? He was an Israelite. Deep inside, what was David? He was a believer in the Lord God Jehovah. Deep inside, he was a follower of God. Samuel 27 that he's trying to make the Philistines think that he was on their side. He lived amongst them. He fellowshiped with them. He ate with them. He shared with them. And as 1 Samuel 29 shows, David even seemed willing to march against the Israelites with the Philistines until God intervened and actually worked in the hearts of the Philistine leaders and said, hey, we can't have this Israelite marching with us against the Israelites because he might turn on us. Now, that was a God thing. God protected that situation. Do you realize that? God intervened in the hearts of the enemy to protect David from doing a really, really stupid thing. It sure wasn't obvious to anybody that was around David at that time that he was a follower. God of Israel. I thought about this. I wonder how many Christians are guilty of the same thing. They go to church on Sunday, but on Monday morning they act like the rest of the world. They act like they don't know Christ. See, when you live a double life, you don't want to be accountable. When you live a double life, you don't want anybody asking about your faith.
1: When you live a double life, you just
0: want to cover ministering in Grand Rapids, I, I joined a athletic club. And the athletic club had a, had a gymnasium. And so for a while, when my knees still allowed me to, I'd go at lunchtime and I'd play basketball with a bunch of businessmen. And so we'd play basketball at lunchtime, and I got to know some of those businessmen. And one day, <coughs> you know, after basketball, you kind of chew the fat and you talk, and we're sitting there cooling down. And, and, and I was engaged in conversation with the gentleman, and I asked him, where do you work at? He told me he knew that I was a pastor and was pastoring a church. And I said, Oh, you know, so and so that goes to our church, he works there. And the guy got a surprised look on his face. And he said to me, Wow, I didn't think he went to any church. Ouch. See, so on Sunday he faithfully came to church. On Sunday, he acted like a Christian. But sadly, the rest of the week, and particularly when he was at work, there was no indicators that he was a follower of Jesus. Well, a final consequence of David's doubt that I want to note is David compromised his values. He compromised his values. As we read, David became a marauder. He raided the neighboring lands and took goods to supply his army and their families. But it wasn't that David just went, you know, raiding. He he did something just unfathomable to us. How could he do this? He would go to these places. He would take their goods, their livestock, you know, to be able to provide for himself. And in his mind, he's thinking, well, these are kind of like the enemies of God. But as we read in the account, did that so that they wouldn't rat on him. So here he is, murdering innocent people, in a sense. And then, he lied to Achish in regards to where he was really raiding. See, David led Achish to believe that he was attacking Israel. Those names that we read there in 1 Samuel 27, those were actually Israeli territories. So here he is, trying to lead Achish to believe that, you know, I'm not Well, raiding the Philistine territory or even some of your neighbors that you are in cahoots with. I'm raiding the Israelites. That was a bold-faced lie. See how he was compromising his values because of his doubt and not trusting in God? First of all, he's murdering people. And then he's lying and deceiving. David's value of life and his honesty and his character was greatly compromised. So I think we think sometimes that our compromising won't affect others, but we need to remember our compromise not only affects ourselves, but indeed it affects other people. And David's compromise affected all of his followers and their families. We won't take time to turn there, but sometimes you want read read First Samuel chapter thirty because it records the Amalekites retaliating against David and his men. David and his men had gone. This is the time when they were going to go with the Philistines and march against the Israelites. And as I already shared, God intervened. While they were gone. the Amalekites said, hey, David's been coming, he's been raiding us, he's been killing us. You know, and so they raided his town. They took all the goods, all the animals, all the livestock, the men, the women, the old men and the women and children that were left behind. Don't tell me that David's compromise didn't affect other people. In fact, when they came back, David's followers were so upset that they wanted to stone him. (laughs) Did his compromise affect other people? Because they saw that their homes were burned and their families were kidnapped. See, when we make a decision that is wrong, when we choose a course that is not God's plan, it affects other people, especially those who believe. as we close this morning. I think we have to be honest with ourselves. We look at the life of David and we can identify with his weaknesses and his sins, can we not? To be honest with you, it's one of the reasons I like David. Because, you know, it's like, okay, this this guy's human. This guy made a lot of mistakes and ah, I can identify with that. You know, his works are right out there for everybody to see. to be careful. We have to be careful of not using the blemishes of David, his mistakes, his sins, to excuse our own faults and our own shortcomings. Because it's almost like we find ourselves doing that. You know, here's David, a man after God's own heart. He blew it, he made mistakes, he failed, so I can too! (laughs) But do you want to go through what David went through? down the same journey and path that David went down? See, we need to remember that when we walk out of the will of God, trouble lies ahead. And it did for David. When we walk out of the will of God, we don't deal with our sins in a proper way. First, we try to rationalize our sin and our sinful behavior. Look at 1 Samuel 27, verse 11 again. Speaking of David, he did not leave a man or a woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in the Philistine territory. David rationalized his sin. And he kept on doing it for over a year. Because the account says that he lived in the Philistine territory for a year and four months. So you need to understand that his raiding and killing people and deceiving Achish was not something that was just done once or twice. It was an ongoing thing. And David continued that sin. Because in his mind, the ends justified the means. It was alright. He rationalized his sin. And second, when we walk out of the will of God, we also try to hide our sins. David lied to Achish. And he lived that lie again for over a year. You know, sometimes in our foolishness, we somehow try to hide our sins from God. Though I think in the deepest recesses of our hearts and our minds, we understand how foolish that is. Because God knows everything. But really, how we live and how we deal with our sins is really saying, doesn't see it. God doesn't know it. Or maybe we're thinking, God doesn't care. But as we know, that's foolishness. Because God knows everything. God knows our sins. God knows our shortcomings. God knows the path in which we are walking on. He knows the decisions that we're making. He knows everything. And thankfully, we have a God who is gracious and grace and forgiveness are always available to all who call on Him. And we know from 1 Samuel 30 that David finally came to his senses. Because in 1 Samuel 30 it tells us that David found strength in the Lord his God. That was right after his men wanted to stone him. He finally went to his knees. He finally called out to God. He finally said, I can't do this by myself. I need God then the text tells us that he called in the priest with that special ephod. And he called out to God and he inquired of God. And God gave him an answer. See, God could have said, David, you doubted me. David, you did not want anything to do with me. David, you kind of left me out of the picture for over a year, almost a year and a half. doesn't say that to you and I. God in His grace, God in His mercy, listens to us when we call on Him. When we say that we're sorry for our sin, when we say that we want to change, God will hear. So I have a question for you this morning. Are you living in death instead of in the will of God? Are you kind of doing that double life kind of thing, that duplicity that David Got caught up in, I want you to know, Christian friend, that you can confess your sin. Stop rationalizing it. Stop trying to hide from it. Lay it right out there before God because he knows about it anyway. And then accept his grace and receive his forgiveness. And like David, start fresh. Start anew. Start that journey. We are so thankful that, as David has shown us, that you are a forgiving God and a gracious God. But we also know that you will not leave us alone, particularly as followers of Jesus Christ when we are entrenched in sin. You bring things into our life to steer us back to yourself. Oftentimes those things are unpleasant. But Father, we are thankful that you are a forgiving God. So if there is a Christian here this morning that finds himself just running away from you, being involved in some things that they should not be involved with, may today, even this moment, be the time in which they confess that, they claim your forgiveness, and they return to following you once again. Perhaps there is that one here this morning that has never given their life to Jesus Christ. May today be the day of decision for them, the day when they trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and receive His forgiveness.